Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will, be, will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former former things has taken place, and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Alrighty, hey guys. Okay, hey, first of all, who has been to an Apple store before? Yeah, nice, nice. Okay, look, now, I don't know about you, a uh, bit of a weird question, hey. Um, I don't know about you, but man, I love going into the Apple store. I'm, look, I'm a little bit nerdy, a little bit geeky, but when you go in, do you ever feel like everything's just kind of perfect? Yeah? Does anyone feel that? Who feels that? Yes, two people, yes. Alright, no, no, but you go in, have we got a photo? You go in and you kind of walk and everything's just like perfect like you like all the tables are perfectly lined up all the lights just like perfectly well lit and you like the people you go in there and they're like hey how can I help you and then like they just fix all your problems and like you got no more money in your wallet but that's okay because you're like they're just the best they're perfect um don't know if you know about like some facts about apple but get this right um apple actually planted their own forest so all those tables, all the wooden tables there, first of all, so they wouldn't cut down all excessive trees, but secondly, all the tables would actually look the same. So they've all got the same amount of sunlight, all the same amount of rain, the same soil. They wanted everything to look perfectly the same, no matter where you went in the world. Yeah. Now, also, yeah, <laughs> the tiles, also the tiles there, they're all from the same quarry. So a quarry is like a little mine, and basically every single Apple store in the world has its own little section of the quarry. So you go to like, you like look at all the American stores, and they've got this part of the quarry. All the Australian stores have like this part, and then Melbourne store has this bit, but like the Sydney store's got this bit. Apple spends so much time figuring out how to make things perfect. And uh, you get some of their devices, and when everything works together, you know, like when you, ha- when you haven't dropped your phone, everything just works perfectly. Look, that, that's why I love Apple, <laughs> but look, I, I don't know about you guys, and I reckon that's actually why a lot of us go after it. I reckon a lot of us are looking for perfection. Now, it could be some of you just want to have, have your room set up perfectly, so everything's looking great, and so you want things perfect there. Maybe, maybe you want to have uh, the perfect productivity system. So you've got, you've got your phone, you've got your laptop, and you've got your books, and you know how to take, do, do your notes, and everything's going to be productive and sweet. Or maybe, maybe you just want everything organised, and so you've got no more stress, no more anxiety going on. 
Look, whatever it is, I reckon we all, deep down, want something to be perfect. And I reckon, here's my segue, I reckon all of us are not happy with imperfect things. And tonight, we're going to get a glimpse at the most perfect perfection there's ever been. We're going to get a glimpse into seeing God's perfect servant and how he perfectly serves you and me. And I reckon if you, if you properly understand what we look at tonight, hopefully, look, one or two things should happen, okay? One or two things. Uh, first thing is you should hopefully uh, understand and appreciate God more and more. If you know God, I'm, I pray and I hope that you fall in love with God even more. I really do. If you're not a Christian, that's good, that's okay, good that you're here, but what I hope is I hope you have a greater understanding of why Christians believe what they believe. And I reckon that's really good. If you're not a Christian, I reckon it's really good to know why people believe or why Christians believe what they believe. And that's actually good just for all things in life. But I think it should be particularly good for tonight. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray for us, if that's okay. I'm going to pray for those of us who are Christians, those of us who are not Christians. I'm going to pray that uh, we would be changed. Changed the way that we think, but also changed in the way that we um, respond to God with our hearts. So I'm going to pray, um, and is someone able to grab me a glass of water? That'd be great. How about I pray? Uh, Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, please help us now to listen. Lord, help every single one of us to listen. Listen with our ears and with our hearts. Lord, help us not to be proud as we come before you now, but help us to be humble, ready to learn, ready to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, pray for those who do know you, that we would fall in love with you all the more. And Lord, those of us who don't know you, Lord, may we we see how good you are Turn and be saved. Amen. Awesome. Alrighty. Oh, thanks. Okay, now before we begin, I really want to quickly get us to know what's going on um, historically. So we've been looking at the book of Isaiah. It's been good. It's 700 years before Jesus. So it's 2,700 years before us. But what exactly is going on? So I've got a quick timeline here to explain what's going on. I picked this one, A, because it's really helpful. And two, A2, A2, it looks like a roller coaster. That's why I picked it, okay? So you've got the startup here, it goes up and down and down, and then you've got like this corkscrew of death, and it like takes you down. And then everything sorts out. So that's all right. But a couple of things. Let's go over it, right? So you start off Adam and Eve, creation, everything's good. All right. But then what happens? They sin, they reject God, they eat the fruit, and we start going down. Then Cain and Abel, there's murder. Cain murders his brother Abel. We start going down. And then we get to Noah, and the world is full of sin. God actually floods the whole earth, gets rid of everyone, and there's just Noah left. We go back up to the top. God makes a promise to this guy called Abraham. He says, I'm going to make you a nation, the nation of Israel. And that's where we have that from. And we start going down. Eventually, Abraham's descendants, they sell one of, their, one of their brothers into slavery. Oh, man. Then we've got Moses. Who's seen uh, Prince of Egypt? How good's Prince of Egypt? Yes. There we go. We've got the Prince of Egypt. They get out of slavery 
into the promised land. And so that things are good, things are looking up. But then we get to the corkscrew of death. Basically what happens? All right, we've got God's people in God's land, but there's this cycle, there's this cycle of sin. And so they're living with God as their king, and then they reject God, and then they cry out for help because God has punished them, and they come back to God. And it's this cycle again and again. But it gets worse and worse, so it's actually like a corkscrew. Now, if you don't know, that's the book of Judges. I think that book epically shows the depths of human sin. If you don't think humans are that bad, go read the book of Judges. You'll see how bad humans can be. All right, but then we get the kings. We get the kings of Israel. We've got Saul, and we've got the best king, David. We've got the kings, uh, and we're a united kingdom. But then that doesn't last too long. Eventually, we have a divided kingdom. The kingdom divides. We've got a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And if we look down here, that's actually where we are now. We're in the book of Isaiah. And the red box there, the Assyrian Empire, they come in and they wipe out the northern part of God's, God's people. And so you've only got half of God's people left. And so things are kind of on the edge. They're kind of living with God, kind of not, going back and forth. Eventually God has enough and we have the Babylonians. That second red box there, the Babylonians come in and they take God's people they defeat them and they t- put them in exile. They basically take them out of their country and they're now living as slaves and captives in another country. And so things are not looking good right now. We're in one of those valleys. Things are not good. And the last 39 chapters of Isaiah has been pretty doom and gloom. Um, and so God's people, they're in exile. And basically... It all seems hopeless. And so that's what's going on, okay? And so the first thing, the very first thing we now see in this passage is God proclaiming something. He's yelling something absolutely beautiful. Let's have a look at verse 1. Verse 1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. God says, behold, he says that in the ESV, and he says, God is holding up his servant for the world to see, and he says, look, look at my servant. Look how good my servant is. God is proud of his servant, and he wants all to know it. And God, isn't, he's not just proud of his servant, he actually has joy in him. Look at verse 1 again. He says, My chosen one, have a look, in whom I delight. God actually delights in his servant. Now, it's pretty clear that this, this servant figure is someone pretty extraordinary. Now, does anyone want to take any hot guesses at who this servant might be? Any guesses? Yell it out. Hey, yes, there you go. Look, we're in a church, we're at youth group, we're in the Bible. Good guess, it's Jesus. Obvious. But here's the thing. Why is it Jesus? Why is this servant figure not God's people? Why is it not the nation of Israel? They're God's people. They were meant to serve God. Why is it not them? Well, let's go, ha- let's go back. Let's go have a look at 41 verse 8. And what we're going to do is we're going to compare this servant figure to the nation of Israel. So 41 verse 8, just one chapter back. And he says, but you Israel, my servant Jacob, 
whom I have chosen, you descendants of Abraham, my friend. Uh, no, verse 18. got my bits mixed up. Sorry. All right, let's, let's have a look at 40 verse 27 instead. Chapter 40 verse 27. And here we see Israel, the nation Israel, complaining. 40 verse 27. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why, why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded by my God. They claim that they can't see God's path. Or 41 verse 10. 41 10. They are fearful God says, so do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. Uh, God's people are dismayed, they're shaken. Or 42, verse 18, here we go. 42, 18. Israel is described as deaf and blind. They cannot see. But here, 42, verse 1, we see God's servant, and he is one that God delights in. And in verse 4, verse 4 of chapter 42, have a look. Describing the servant again, it says, He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. The picture of God's people here is pretty dull. And no wonder. Remember that they're in captivity. They've been uh, disobeying God. And the reason for their failure to obey God and honour him Israel has totally and utterly failed to live properly as God's people. And so they've actually, they've actually sought out after other gods, other fake gods, rather than the true God. And so comparing Jesus back, back to the servant, uh, look at verse 3. Let's look at Jesus. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smouldering wick he will not snuff out. So we see Jesus here, not even the last little bit of a smouldering candle wick, not even that would be snuffed out, is how gentle Jesus is. So Jesus is actually the perfect servant that none of us could ever be, that God's people could never be. And so it's a little bit like when you're on a sporting team, right? Uh, when you're on a sporting team and there's, you know there's the, the, that one person who's just the best, um, it's a little bit for me, it happened like this, so I, I, I played soccer for a bit, never, it was never really good, but there's this one guy when I was, when I was eight, uh, and Corey, Corey was the best. Corey always just scored all the goals, and basically we had this chant, um, it was basically like we'd huddle in, you know, like you do the hands in, you're like, one, two, three, we'd do that, and it was like, one, two, three, and you know, want to know what the chant was? It was like, one, two, three, pass the ball to Corey, and that was it. And then we'd go out, and we'd just go play soccer. And it was just like, like I, feel, I couldn't really um, describe it as an eight-year-old, but it was pretty demoralizing, knowing that you were, the whole job of you was just to pass the ball to Corey. <laughs> but basically, man, like we passed the ball to Corey, and we just won. We just won goals every single time. Um, and look, it got me a little bit frustrated, and I wish, look, if, I, if eight-year-old Corey was in front of me, oof, he would, I reckon I'd probably beat him at soccer. Um, that's really, it's pretty understandable. Um, but anyway, that's not the point. Point is, Jesus is far better, far better servant than any of us could ever be, far better than God's people with all of God's help. 
And so, now Jesus isn't just some eight-year-old who's got some mad soccer skills, obviously. But the thing is, is that Jesus is God's perfect servant and he actually lives up to God's standards. None of us have done that. None of us have done that. Okay, and so what, what do you do with this? You go, okay, yeah, I get Jesus perfect, cool. What do you do with this? Well, if you call yourself a Christian, then I hope this helps you to see um, that Jesus is good. He's actually soft and caring, and you can go to him. We saw this last week in chapter 40, verse 11. Let's go there. Chapter 40, verse 11. It says, He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. But the very verse, the very verse before that, verse 10, we see that the sovereign Lord comes with power. Now, I know that's God the Father and you've got Jesus and there's, there's some differences there, but we've, that's the God that we have, a God who is powerful and soft. And so Jesus is someone who you can delight in. I wonder if that's actually your heart. How often do you actually delight in the fact that you know Jesus? Or are you too busy going to the things of this world, to to the gods of your heart, rather than to Jesus, your Saviour? And if you're not a Christian, I hope you can see that Jesus is a real person who really lived and is actually the one who can save you. Now, Jesus isn't just an ideal that we should strive to be. Look, He, he certainly is that. We, we should strive to be more like Jesus. But Jesus isn't just a, an ideal that we should strive to be. He's actually God's answer for our hope, for our, sorry, for our weakness and for our failures. Jesus is God's answer to that. So we know Jesus is God's perfect servant. But how exactly did Jesus serve us? How, how did Jesus serve God? How did he serve us? Well, we get a hint of this in verse 4. Let's have a look. Verse 4, we, we get a hint of this. And it's a little bit tricky, so we're going to work through it. It says, He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. So we see the servant doing, act, actively doing something. What was it? It uses the word justice here. And it's a bit of a tricky, uh, tricky use of the word because when it uses the word justice here, it uses it four different times in three verses, in verses 1, 2, and 4. And so it's a little bit tricky, and, and the word here is a bit broader than what you probably think it is. But basically, the way Jesus brings justice to the nations, what's Jesus' mission? It's basically referring to Jesus' mission as a whole, and it's this. It's to make known the sovereignty of God to all people everywhere. Now, the word sovereignty is a bit of a weird one, all right? It's a bit of a weird word, but basically... 
It means Jesus' mission was to make known God's power, God's goodness, His awesomeness, known to all people everywhere. The God who created all things, the Almighty God, is to be made known throughout the whole world. Have a look at how God is described, actually, in verse 5. We, we, get, a, we get a glimpse at how, of the character of God. Verse 5. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. That's the kind of God that we have, a God who gives breath to all people, and this God of ours, he actually wants all people to come to know him, to come and know him and have actually have a relationship with him. And so remember, Israel are currently in exile. They feel like they don't have a relationship with God. They're not in his land. They haven't got a king. They're in exile. They're, they're slaves in another country. And then along comes this, this message of a servant, of a saviour, and he's here to restore their relationship with God. So how does Jesus serve us? Well, he restores our broken relationship with the God of the universe, the God who made us. But here's the best thing about all this, right? Is that Jesus doesn't just fix the relationship of Christians, of you and me, but he actually, he extends it out to the whole world, to actually anyone and everyone. People who have never heard of Jesus before. Anyone can have a relationship with God. We actually see this in verse 6. Come have a look. I know we're looking at a lot of the Bible here, but please have a look. Verse 6. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles. So what we see in verse 6, it's a little bit weird, but what we see is we see God talking to Jesus. And it's like we're overhearing that conversation. And we see God saying to Jesus, Hey, Jesus, I want you to be a covenant for the people, for all the people. Now, again, that word covenant, it's a bit weird. We're getting quite a few weird words here. Uh, but covenant, I'll give you an example. So I'm in a covenant relationship with my wife. What that means is, is that we have said to each other, uh, for better, for worse, sickness and in health, I will not leave you. I will look after you, I will love you, and I will do the best thing for you at all times. And that's just between us. That's a covenant. It's like a contract, okay? And so God has said to Jesus, I want you to be a covenant, a contract for the people to bring you back into relationship with me. God is saying that I want to have a relationship with all people everywhere. Verse 6 again, it says that he is like a light in the dark places, a light to the Gentiles. Gentiles is just anyone who doesn't know God. And so this is actually such good news, seriously such good news. If you don't know God, it means that you can actually have a relationship with God, with the Lord of the universe. Verse 5, with the one who gives breath to all people and life to those who walk on it. And so, look, whether you realise it or not, all of us have actually got a broken relationship with God. 
all of us in our hearts have decided to say, I'm not living with God as my God. I'm actually going to do what I want to do. I'm going to be God. I'm going to say what's good, what's bad, what's right, what's wrong. I'm going to do what I want to do. Whether we've actually thought that or not, that's actually the heart and the attitude of every single human being on earth. And that's actually what's broken our relationship with God. That's what has put us into spiritual exile. That's what put God's people into physical exile. Exiled out of a relationship with God, exiled out of their country, and we need a saviour. We need a saviour. And so you see verse 7, this is, this is epic, verse 7, let's have a look. What's Jesus doing? He is to open the eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. So Jesus' main, main mission is to rescue those in darkness and save us out of our spiritual dungeon of sin. Now, God, 2,700 years ago, rescues his people. He uses the, the Persian king Cyrus to bring them out. But today, we have an epic saviour, Jesus, who saves us from our sin. And it's not just you and me, it's not just this small group of Christians here. It's actually for every single person in the world to be saved from their sin, from the darkness of sin. And so why does God do this? Why does God do all of this? You see verse... Have you guys ever thought... Look at verse 5 here. Have you guys ever thought, why does God create the heavens? Why did He make them? Why did He send Jesus? What's the point of all this? What is God on about? Well, there's one, there's one really big thing that God is on about. And it's in verse 8. 8 and 9. Let's have a look. God says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See, the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. So why does God do things? At the start of verse 8, he says he will not yield his glory to another. Here's the big thing, and this, this actually helped me. I fully understood this in year 12, and it really helped me understand Christianity, um, life. It was epic. Why does God do things? It's for God's name. It's for God's glory. God will, will not yield His glory to another. And in fact, that's actually what we do when we sin. When we reject God and we we live our lives without Him, we have either ourselves as our God or we have other things as our little fake gods. And God says, no, no, I want you back. I want you back. I love you. I don't want you to face my, my punishment. But He says, I will not yield my glory, my goodness to anyone else. And so God sends His Son, Jesus, for that very reason. God saves you for that very reason. It's for His namesake, for His glory for His awesomeness. So, my challenge, my question to you guys is, are you humble enough to accept that? Are you willing to, to see your need for a Saviour 
and see that God does everything for his name's sake. Why? Who does he think he is? God or something? <laughs> well, yeah, like that's exactly who he is. And so are you willing to submit to this God, come back to him with his perfect saviour, Jesus? I reckon it's a pretty big question. So how about, we, how about we pray? How about after this, you actually have a good conversation with a leader or with a friend? Or at the very least, at the very least, think deeply about this. Just reflect in your head. Think about it. How about we pray? Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we want to pray, please, that you would uh, be saving those who don't know you. Lord, we want to ask for forgiveness for the way that we've rejected you, for the way that we have ignored you, for the way that we have uh, given your glory to other things, to things that you have made. Lord, please forgive us. Lord, we pray, please, that, Lord, we would um, live with Jesus as our Saviour, that we would delight in him, that we would come back to him. Lord, pray that those who don't know you would, would do the same. Amen.